afternoon, everyone. I'm Jonathan Williams, Executive Vice President of Policy and Chief Economist with ALEC. And thank you so much for joining us today for our webinar, uh, talking about really one of the biggest issues going on in, across the states this year, and that is the uh, issue of education, freedom, and parental empowerment. And uh, uh, just my pleasure to run our policy department with my colleagues across our 10 different task forces. Uh, and today we are focusing on uh, really an issue has uh, been at the forefront of many, many state uh, debates across the country this year, and that is the issue of how to create better quality education systems across the country and to have dollars follow parents and children and not broken systems. And so today we're going to hear from some of our great ALEC legislative leaders who have been at the forefront of these fights, both in states that have enacted just fundamental uh, great education reform in recent years, as well as states that are in the middle of acting on it. In fact, uh, just uh, last night, we saw the Arkansas State Senate uh, pass uh, just incredible education reform. And we are going to hear in a moment from uh, Senator Jim Dotson from the ALEC Board of Directors. But I could, we couldn't be more pleased on behalf of ALEC, the organization, to have this as one of our top tier priority issues as we continue to fight for uh, better education outcomes and better education systems across the country. It's something that reverberates through all areas of public policy is when we get education right, we can get so many other issues right um, as states and, of course, uh, across America. And so uh, we have an august panel today, as I mentioned, of uh, people that generally uh, there are people that are ALEC leaders. Uh, many of them serve on the ALEC Board of Directors that you'll hear from, from the legislative fights that they've been in the middle of. We're also going to hear from our, our longtime friend, Steve Moore, uh, who's been watching these fights and has been in the middle of these uh, big issue battles across the country for many years as well to get his perspective. And so I'd like to turn it over now to our Education and Workforce Development Task Force Director, Andrew Handel, uh, who's been our point person internally and in working on the education issues and help, uh, helping Alec lead the way as really a, a spear in these uh, fights uh, for, for better education policy across the states. And he's going to introduce our great legislative panel. Before we conclude, we'll have some time to turn it over to you that may have questions uh, for our panelists and um, in interested in issues and how to work with Alec on education freedom going forward. So thanks so much for joining us and taking time during this busy time of the year as states continue to move the ball forward on great free market ideas. So Andrew, take it away. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Um, you know, for those who I haven't met yet, um, as Jonathan mentioned, my name is Andrew Handel. I head up the Education and Workforce Development Task Force here at ALEC, and really, really excited, um, you know, to to have these uh, panelists with us. Um, these are all um, legislative leaders in their states um, who have been pushing these universal uh, education freedom accounts, um, and we've been seeing just so much progress this year for students and families. Um, you know, I know. We keep saying 2021 felt like the, the year of school choice, and then 2022 became the year of school choice, and now 2023, it, it looks like, is, is going to be the, the actual year of school choice uh, with so much expansion happening. So, um, so yeah, I'll just kind of quickly introduce our panelists. Um, we're still waiting for um, Senator uh, Phil King from Texas and um, Senator, oh, no, yeah, we do have Senator Dotson. So, yeah, I think just waiting for Senator King from Texas to join us. But, um, but yeah, I'll start with Senator Rucker, um, who kicked off this uh, this idea of universal ESAs around the country um, in West Virginia. Um, she was the sponsor of the Hope Scholarship Program and uh, led that through the 
through the General Assembly, and um, that's now been implemented. Um, despite being, despite some challenges from the teachers unions in the uh, West Virginia Supreme Court, uh, there was a good ruling there, uh, so the program was able to go forward. Uh, so we're thrilled to have Senator Rucker with us. Uh, we also have Representative John Wills from Iowa. He is the Speaker Pro Tem of the Iowa House of Representatives. Um, Iowa with a huge win this year, um, getting that ESA package over the finish line uh, that Governor Reynolds was backing, and Representative Wills uh, was the floor manager for that bill. And then we also have Senator Jim Dotson, um, who was uh, busy last night uh, passing uh, Governor Sanders' uh, ESA package, or I shouldn't call it an ESA package because there's so much more uh, to, to her bill, and we're really looking forward to, to hearing from Senator Dotson um, about that as well. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and um, kick things off. I'll turn it over to Senator Rucker, um, if you just kind of like to tell everybody about the, the HOPE Scholarship Program and, and what your experience was like. Okay, well, I'll try to do this in a, just a few minutes, and that's a little tough to do, but I am very grateful to be part of this um, panel with awesome leaders from all over the country, and always grateful to ALEC for oppor the opportunities that they provide for legislators to be able to learn about these issues and to help us be successful. And that's actually a good place to begin because the whole idea of universal ESAs came to me from attending ALEC meetings where we would hear about the states who were on the forefront of school choice and had implemented limited ESA accounts for certain populations. And I just always thought about that student that was left out. You know, so, you know, an ESA that's just for special needs. Well, what if that special need the child has doesn't fit into that definition they created? Or the ESAs that were for certain districts. Well, that child that lives five miles out of that district, not able to access it, you know, like just always my heart would just hurt for those that were left out. And as someone who had to, you know, basically create my own school choice by sacrificing my career and stay at home to homeschool my children, like I understand that not everyone has those options and there are parents who can't afford to move if they want a better opportunity for their kids. And so I introduced um, the first universal ESA for everyone in West Virginia and, you know, it was not easy. And the first time that we attempted to do an ESA in West Virginia, the unions did manage to get that basically killed. But I didn't give up and we tried again. And I will tell you, one of the things I learned from our first attempt that failed was the more you limit your, your school choice, whatever it is, the less um, advocates you have in support of it. But when you make it universal, you have many more people who are now invested in seeing it come through. So you have that many more support and emails and interests and groups and organizations because they all see a benefit to it. And so that was one of the lessons I learned from our first attempt that failed. Um, the other thing about universal, I, I believe it's a better argument. So you are not excluding any child. You are treating all children the same. And just like our public schools are for everyone, they're open to all, the ESA is a continuation of that. If you as a state believe that every child matters in your state and every child should have a good education and they're not finding it in that public school that you're providing for them, then every child should have the opportunity to find that education that they need, whatever it looks like. And education savings accounts is just the most universal 
form of school choice because it really empowers the parents to choose what's best for them. And we're not saying private schools. We're not saying homeschooling. We're not saying one particular answer. We're letting the parents find what works best and they can customize that education. So yes, West Virginia, we were able to pass it. It's implemented. We are so excited. Over a thousand students in West Virginia are already taking advantage. We suspect there's going to be much more because the first year we we had that um, you know, court case hanging over our heads and some parents were nervous, are we going to survive? But now I think it's just, there's just so much interest. And I'll tell you benefits to it. West Virginia is a small state with very few education choices. We are already starting to see new private schools interested in opening in West Virginia, expansion of current school options, and a lot more innovative options. We have micro schools opening up. We have teachers who are doing their own learning pods um, and, and a lot of other things. I mean, it's just amazing to see the innovation that is happening and who is winning, the students are winning. Awesome, thanks Senator Rucker. And um, I did wanna ask you too, I, I know one of the unique things about the Hope Scholarship Program is it sets up this, um, the Hope Scholarship Board, which kind of manages the program. And you know that's something that I've, um, you know, really been emphasizing to the rest of our uh, our legislative members uh, because that really allows it to be nimble and quickly adjust to whatever the parents' needs are. Um, actually, I think there was there was a good example of that where um, you know the court case, as you mentioned, was hanging over a lot of parents' heads, and um, they you know because of those delays, there were some some issues there. But I, I think the board was able to quickly step in once it was ruled constitutional, and they changed some things and got everybody involved. Could you talk a little bit about that and how that's worked and how that came about? Absolutely. And yes, I, I believe that's one of the best things that we put into my our program because it does allow for um, the this board that involves two parents and a few people, administrators, to basically change the rules of the program whenever something new comes up and it, we don't have to come back to the legislature. And I know all the legislators here know, and I, like this happens all the time, they, we have to bring open up a code to add this, authorize this, allow for it. Like we do not want students um, to not have an opportunity uh, just because of the legislative session, you know, and, and what happens to a bill. So this allows the ability for that board to make approvals and changes based on the speed of innovation. And uh, it really has helped us a lot. It, that board is also responsible for just oversight of the program. If there's questions, if there's um, somebody alleges that there's fraud, that board oversees all that. So we really have that oversight that gives a surety to those who are worried that is this opening us up for some nefarious things, um, plus gives us that flexibility to deal with things that come up as they come up. Awesome. Thanks, Senator. And I will go ahead and um, shamelessly self-promote our ALEC model policy, which is based off of Senator Rucker's HOPE scholarship program. I just dropped that in the chat. Um, she, of course, was was amazing in sponsoring that um, through the task force last year. We're, we're really happy to have that as our as our national model policy on uh, on ESAs. So thank you, Senator Rucker. Uh, we'll now go ahead and turn it over to Representative John Wills uh, to talk about the, the big win in Iowa. Well, thank you, Andrew. I just want to um, echo a lot of what uh, Senator Rucker said. Uh, first of all, the staff at ALEC, the, the, the resources at ALEC that we were able to access 
over the last three years because this is not a, a program that we just did this year and we just did it in one year and done. Uh, it's taken three years for us to, to get to this point. Uh, and the staff at ALEC has been uh, top notch the whole way. I've uh, I talked to Senator Rucker uh, several times and, and uh, so a lot of collaboration, a lot of working together. Uh, but uh, the program in Iowa, uh, we basically have developed um, is uh, based on uh, something the governor wanted to do. And we, we uh, the last two years, I would echo again what Senator Rucker said, uh, we were really small in our thinking uh, the last two years uh, where we were trying to do a limited program. We weren't really reaching out and doing a lot. And this year we went universal, mostly because of the election. We had a lot of uh, school choice folks that won election this, this last year due to redistricting. We had a, not, a lot of new people come on board and uh, we were able to successfully pull off a universal school choice uh, program where every student in the state of Iowa over the course of the next three years will be eligible uh, to come on board and, and take advantage of our Student First Act scholarship. Uh, they can uh, use that scholarship for tuition for an accredited school. They can use it for uh, books, testing, uh, uh, tutoring, anything that they might need that's in association with, with school that is not a, a consumable item. Uh, they can use uh, the Student First Act scholarship for, um, and it, it, it's a it's a really neat program. We're going to really see a lot of interesting things happen over the next few years as our private schools start to build up. Uh, we did allow private school uh, school uh, members to access the Student First Act, um, but we had to space that out over a three-year period. The total program is going to cost about three hundred and forty-five million dollars over the course of that three years, and so we didn't uh, really want to have that full $345 million price tag the first year. So what we're doing is based on, on uh, income levels, we're allowing uh, students to, to access, parents to access the Student First Act. Um, uh, and, and by the third year, every student in the state of Iowa will be eligible. Uh, we're anticipating about 10% of our students will access the Student First Act um, by that third year. That's a huge amount because uh, we, we look at Arizona is at 5%. They've been doing this for quite a few years. And so we're really, really excited about that. Right now, we have a student body of about 480,000 uh, students. So kind of a small state, about 33,000 students are already uh, taking advantage of private school education. And we anticipate about another 10 or so a thousand uh, will take advantage. And so we're gonna have a pretty robust private school uh, uh, enrollment over the next three years. We're really excited about this program, uh, but it's just the beginning. And uh, uh, right now we're only allowing accredited schools to be able to uh, be used for our Student First Act. But uh, uh, I think that in the future that could be probably expanded. Awesome. Thanks, Representative. And you mentioned, um, you know, it took three years uh, for Iowa to, to get this across the finish line. And um, I was curious if you could just kind of walk us through, like, what changed this year? Was it Governor Reynolds playing in a couple of Republican primaries and, uh, you know, trying to get some more um, education freedom proponents in, in there? Or was it a messaging change? Um, if you could just walk us through, you know, what was different this year? Yeah, so this bill has been my mine to run for three years, and I've failed for two years. I felt like a miserable failure <laughs> for those three year, two years. Um, but I would say a little bit about what Senator Rucker said as far as uh, making it a universal uh, program. Uh, we really did have some more buy-in. I think the election had something to do with it, where Governor Reynolds, that was 
this was her top-notch issue. This is all she ever talked about when she went uh, out and, and talked to people during the election. Uh, she did play in a few uh, elections, but I don't think that those folks were going to win anyway, I, I, for the most part. I think that uh, in those primaries, um, I think the people, you know, primary voters are different than the general population. And in our uh, platform, our state platform, school choice is there. And so I think the primary voters said, listen, you've been opposed to uh, school choice. And so we're going to send somebody else there that's going to fulfill our primary, our, our, our platform, uh, that sort of thing. So I think there's a whole slew of things. But once you get a universal program that has a lot to offer to a, a, a broader audience, I think that was uh, really something. We also kind of uh, jettisoned, jettisoned our approach from the past, previous two years and just wiped the slate clean and started over with a new approach that just looked different. It felt different. And it was uh, a little bit easier for people that had been opposed to it in the past to say, well, this is a different program. I can now support it. And so I think that's important, too, is to understand that uh, when politics come into play, if somebody says, I can't support something, um, usually a lot of times they're like going to stick with that, um, especially if they come out uh, in public and say that. Whereas if something new comes up, something new is available to them uh, and they want to switch to that, it gives them that out in order to uh, move over and, and do the right thing. Awesome. Thanks, Representative. Um, so, yeah, we'll go ahead and turn it over to uh, Senator Jim Dotson now, um, who, uh, again, sits on the Arkansas Education Committee. Uh, the Senate voted through uh, their their LEARNS Act. Um, so, yeah, Senator, uh, if you could just uh, walk us through that. And it seems to move through the Senate at mock speed. <laughs> um, that That's to put it mildly. So um, Governor Sanders came into office uh you know, last month and after campaigning for two years specifically on education reform. So that was certainly, uh, it's certainly helpful to have a governor as, as Representative Will says, backing something, talking about it, putting it out there. Um, but part of the success, I think, so far in this has, has also been that she has not just focused on uh, school choice specifically, or or parental empowerment, as we're calling it, um, uh, it's much more comprehensive. So, complete education reform package um, is been put together in this particular piece of legislation. Um, 144 page bill. It was filed on Monday. Um, we heard it in committee for I don't know how many hours on Wednesday. Uh, going back and forth now. It's been many months in drafting, going through details, uh, trying to talk to stakeholders, get feedback, uh, putting putting uh, uh, various tweaks and things into it based on that feedback. Um, but one of the main components of it uh, is the education freedom accounts. And so full school choice uh, universal school choice in three years. It'll be ramped up over the next three years. Uh, year one is a, uh, a little bit more of a limited uh, initial uh, program that um, doesn't have everybody, obviously, and it ends up limited in the total. It's capped in the total amount of uh, student population in the state. Um, 1.5% in the first year, it doubles that in the second year to 3%. And then it's full universal in year three going forward. Um, the uh, 
the education uh, freedom accounts are ESAs, education savings accounts that are worth 90% of the state foundation funding for every every regular traditional public school student that will be in that account and just like others eligible for, um, they can be used for eligible expenses to participating providers, whether that's private schools, tutors, things like that. The first year, it's going to be a little bit more limited because uh, the anticipation is that um, that this will go into effect for the 23-24 school year. That'll be year one. So the department has to get everything put together very quickly once this is signed into law. It did pass the Arkansas Senate yesterday with an emergency clause. As long as it passes the House with the, the same emergency clause, um, anticipating that next week, Governor Sanders will sign it and it will be in effect immediately. Um, I think, like I said, part of the success, there's a lot of things that people liked um, that helped them with uh, some of the things they didn't care for as much. We still have a bunch of uh, school choice opponents, but they did like the increase in teacher salaries, uh, the minimum teacher salary, the bonuses for them, maternity leave. Um, there was a, a teacher education program was a part of the the a component of it, uh, a major focus on literacy, uh, getting kids on, on grade level by third grade as far as uh, literacy is concerned with the commitment for literacy, which is getting in into uh, all, all the various schools throughout the state, uh, teacher bonuses, merit incentive fund, uh, uh, there are charter school components of it as well. So, I mean, it was a comprehensive school choice uh, education reform package in total. Um, and so that, that garnered a lot of support from all the various components of people that had different, different, uh, things that they, they liked a lot and were willing to overlook some of the things they didn't like quite as much, particularly though, with, um, a very popular governor, uh, that is, it was her top priority. So, um, I mean, that, it makes a big difference. So um, I, I too have been in the middle of this for many years. Um, I've been in the legislature for 10 years. Uh, the first school choice um, uh, piece of legislation I ran was in 2017 for a universal um, tax credit scholarship funded ESA program back then. Came within eight votes of getting that passed, got it through one chamber and not the other, but didn't really have full support from a governor. And so um, it, it, that tips the balance tremendously to where we're looking at uh, getting the two-thirds majority needed in both chambers to actually get it enacted immediately for this year. So um, it's pretty exciting, pretty exciting time that we're living in. Thanks, Senator. And um, yeah, you you mentioned the the teacher pay raises being a part of that package, and and I think um you know I'd seen that there was also um, a, a bonus incentive in there as well for teachers who were you know above and beyond um, you know the their right. Pay. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that you know the kind of support. So that merit teacher incentive fund um, is a teachers that kicks in after you have to have been a teacher for three years 
but then you can qualify for that merit teacher incentive fund of up to $10,000 in bonus uh, for that, that particular school year. If you're, you know, an exceptional teacher, which we have exceptional teachers in in uh, great districts and in poor districts and B rated districts or F rated districts, you know, it, it doesn't matter where they happen to be at, but they can, they can qualify for that merit incentive fund. Um, every teacher in the state is uh, uh, getting a minimum of a $2,000 pay increase. We're taking Arkansas minimum starting salary, $36,000 a year, which is, I believe, 40, 46 or 48. It's, it's toward the bottom to $50,000 minimum teacher's starting salary, which will be fourth in the nation. So um, it's a massive commitment to public education. In fact, more than two-thirds of the expense of the bill uh, is directly related to traditional public schools, but um, the the other aspects of things are are going to be, you know, for uh, parental empowerment of students being able to take those dollars, have those dollars follow the kids to the, the school environment that suits them best. Awesome. Thanks, Senator. And uh, just a reminder for everybody um, in the webinar, if you have a question, we will have some time for Q&A afterwards. So feel free uh, to click that Q&A button um, down at the bottom of your screen and you can uh, type your questions there and we'll we'll do our best to get to them uh, time permitting. Um, so yeah, now I'm happy to turn it over to Steve Moore, uh, who's taken some time out of his his busy schedule. Uh, we were happy he was able to join us uh, in Florida last week uh, for an Alec event with some some education supporters as well. Um, so yeah, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Steve, and hear hear what's going around the country. I am so excited about what's going on in these states. I've been working on this issue for 30 years. Uh, uh, Jonathan, I don't think you've not quite that many years, but uh, a long time as well. And we had an incredible um, conference last week um, in uh, Palm Beach with uh, some of the people on this call were there, where we brought in some of the leaders from various states that are doing incredible things. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what I told the people there. And, and by the way, that was a combination of, of you know, conservative donors and educators and um, obviously legislators and others who care so passionately about this issue of, of, of better schools and better education opportunities for our kids. And I, by the way, I started that conversation out by, by relating the fact that in Chicago right now, there are 52 states, I mean, schools that uh, where no child, not one child is reading or um, doing math at proficiency level. I mean, that's an incredible level of incompetence. Same thing um, in um, in um, Baltimore. We have 30 schools, 30 schools not, where not one child, not one, is reading or doing uh, math at proficiency level, grade level proficiency. And we need to shut down those schools down and get those kids into schools that are working. And, and, you know, I could tell that story probably in just about every state in the country. Some obviously are better than others. This is what we call the school choice moment or, you know, education freedom moment, whatever you want to call this. But it is, it is something that um, all of the pieces are coming together. I'm so excited about just hearing about uh, what Senator Dotson, what you've done in Arkansas and Pat, what you did in West Virginia. I mean, it's so cool. 
And I believe that we, we, we are targeting seven or eight more states to get this done this year. Um, this is, uh, why is this the school choice moment? Well, one is that we have 22 states that, uh, that have a Republican governor, Republican Senate, and Republican House. I'm not saying this is a Republican-only issue. Anyone who cares about education obviously should, should want to expand competition and opportunity for kids. But uh, never before have the teachers' unions um, been less popular than they are today. Uh, people have had a first-hand glimpse of what's being taught in the schools. They saw the shutdown of their local schools, so people started looking Parents started looking for alternatives and the alternatives out there if the, if the funding can be provided. And so um, my role this afternoon is just to uh, tell you that the troops are going to be coming. Uh, the cavalry is coming to help you do this in your states. Um, Pat, Senator Pat Rucker is a hero of mine because she almost single-handedly showed that you could take on the teachers unions and, and live to tell about it. Uh, and I know that a lot of your colleagues, for those of you, uh, most of the people on this call are state legislators, they're afraid of the teachers' unions. They, they have a lot of money and they've had a lot of clout. But uh, we, we see in Arkansas, we see in Iowa, we see in, um, in Arizona, Florida, Texas, that, that we, can, we can roll the teachers' unions. And, and, it's, and one last thing, and I'll stop, Andrew. I mean, Lisa's a point that Lisa makes all the time, and she's so right. You know, this isn't just about providing more opportunities for kids to go to private schools. Of course, that's a big part of it, but it's about creating a competitive environment. I'm an economist. Competition works. When you know, there's an old ad that you know when when insurance companies have to compete, it's a good thing for consumers. Well, that's the same thing in every industry. When when industries have to compete for customers, they provide better service and and better products, and that's what we want. I mean, even, you know, we're still, even with these expansive programs, we're still going to have probably two thirds of the kids in the public schools. So we want to make sure that this competitive model provides uh, better public education as well. Um, so I'm at your service. Uh, Al what Alec has done has been so amazing on this. What all of you uh, who've been leading this fight, thank you for doing what you're doing. I really believe as an economist, that, that this is one of the most important things we can do to ensure the um, economic prosperity of our country uh, over the next 20 or 30 years. We cannot, have a, we cannot have a country where kids are graduating from uh, you know, high school without even being able to read the diploma. So let's charge ahead, let's do whatever we can to make 2023 the year of educational choice. And Andrew, and thank you, Steve, for that. I mean, uh, you've been the Pied Piper of, of education choice and, and reform ideas for, for decades now. And so it's got to be awfully gratifying to see these Alec heroes taking the ball and getting it across the finish line. But uh, just to pick up on one thing you said, I just wanted to comment on briefly. And I had a question for you, too, that just came up the other day. And I wanted to get your take. But, you know, I think and this is something I don't think I've ever uttered out of my lips before. But I think we the, uh, the teachers unions deserve a big thank 
thank you for <laughs> actually being transparent back a couple of years ago and a giving us Glenn Youngkin because you remember how Terry McAuliffe when he was tapped on the shoulder by the teachers union throughout the campaign made that you know egregious statement that probably something he's believed for a long time that finally he said out loud uh, parents shouldn't be involved with their kids education essentially and of course that started this whole movement in northern Virginia it gave us Glenn Youngkin here in Virginia as a taxpayer in the Commonwealth I'm awfully thankful for that but of course jump started this idea that parents do want to be more involved and they were looking over their kids shoulders on their laptops during the forced online learning and the government shutdown of education and we said never again and the teachers unions were at least honest about that and I think they have spurred this you know, great movement and all of you as leaders getting it across the finish line has been incredible but Steve one question I got when I was testifying in Alaska the other night with our good friend Donna Arduin at the Ways and Means Committee and I wanted to get your take on this Wait, what's, what state was that? This was in Alaska with Donna Hardy. So I was testifying and I got this question. I was talking about school choice as being something in Alaska could do to really amp up its economic environment as well. And we talk often in rich states, poor states about how Americans continue to vote with their feet away from big government states and government states that have locked down education and have, have high taxes and big spending and going to states that have more economic freedom. You know, the, the data is, you know, it's early in a lot of cases, too early to tell. But what is your take on just the in-migration power that school choice can unleash in terms of states like West Virginia, especially, or states like Iowa and states like Arkansas uh, that have been, you know, maybe slow growth population states, but between great tax reform that they're working on and things like school choice, how much of a, a difference do you think that will make over time in these net domestic migration figures that we follow? Great point. And Jonathan and I uh, co-sponsor the uh, rich states, poor states every year. So we look at all these different factors about why people are moving from one place to another. And the migration, by the way, um, between states has actually um, increased. So it's accelerating. And um, so, look, a lot of people um, choose a state or a place to live based on how the schools are. We know that. I, I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. We are the third richest county in the country. I'm not rich myself, but we got a lot of rich people in Montgomery County. And, um, you know, we so we pay a lot in property taxes. You would think, uh, Jonathan, that we probably have really great schools, right? Because, you know, we pay a lot for it and it's a very affluent area and our schools stink. We had to pull our kids out of, even in Montgomery County, Maryland, we because they weren't, it was an anti-America agenda. The schools had been closed down for a long time due to COVID when private schools were open. And so, you know, just to give you a sense of how important choices, you know, we now send our kids to a a Catholic school, and, and I got to tell you, the, the difference in our kids, um, and they're not, they, you know, my kids aren't Catholic, but the, the fact that they uh, have discipline in the classroom and teaching a, a classical education model and um, and have high expectations for the kids has made all the difference in the world in 18 months. I cannot tell you how improved these kids are. And I think about it every night, John, Jonathan, why can't every kid have an education like this you know what's the old saying by the you know a, a, a mind is a terrible thing to waste and we can't go one more day with putting our kids in failing schools and i do believe that if we have competition it'll force the public schools to improve their game and to provide a better education so yeah um people do choose and let me make one other quick point 
I know, I know, Pat Rucker, this will bring a smile to your face, but you do know now West Virginia has more people coming into West Virginia than leaving. <laughs> that's the first time that's happened in probably 50 years in, in the state of West Virginia. And why is that? Because they've cut taxes, they've got a pro-freedom agenda. So I think that answers your question, doesn't it, Jonathan? It can change uh, the places um, where people want to live. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Steve. Um, just a reminder, we've got just like a few minutes left. So um, anybody has a question, feel free to click that Q&A button. And... I have a question. Sure. Yeah, go for uh, it. This is for um, Senator, um, uh, if, if he is still on, the Senator from, um, oh, J Senator Dotson. Um, and I just wanted to make clear, uh, so you passed, this, yes, sir. you passed this through the Senate. And then you said something about it requires two thirds. Uh, I, I just was kind of getting, I wanted your bottom line assessment of how likely you think we can get this done this year. Uh, I don't want to make you repeat yourself, but I want to make sure I understand exactly what the path is to get this over the goal line. So it still has to go through the House of Representatives. Okay. It's, it's passed through the Senate. Uh, it did get the required two thirds to enable the emergency clause needed. It only needs a simple majority to pass and become law, but it, it will take 90 days after session to go into effect if it doesn't have that emergency clause. So it still needs to pass with two thirds in the House uh, once it gets through committee over there. And so anticipation is that we'll be in committee on Tuesday next week and uh, hopefully come out. I mean, I, th I think we've got the votes to get it out of committee. Um, I'm, I'm relatively confident we'll have the votes to pass it, but two thirds is a is a high bar. So, getting that in the emergency clause enabled will be important to to make sure everything is smooth and goes into effect this year, um, especially so teachers can get those pay raises uh, for the next cycle. So, um, I, I think we're uh, we're we're heading that that direction. Um, it looks promising, but it still has you know, a few more hurdles to get over before it's, it's now, a done deal for sure. If you're not able to get the two thirds in the house, does that kill the bill or what, then what happens? No, as long as it gets the simple majority, it will be law. It just won't go into effect until uh, later on in the summer after the teachers have signed their contracts for this year. So uh, teachers across the state and rural parts of the state that are going from the minimum of 36,000 to 50,000 won't go on this year's contract. It'll be the next year. So I, I think if the, as long as the bill passes, uh, we can still, the, the house can still revote the emergency clause, even if they don't get it on the first vote. So, um, you know, that'll be a, a major incentive for a lot of people to say, okay, let's go ahead. It's passed. Um, try to get it on through. Uh, and, and to the, the point that was made just uh, uh, a little bit ago, is it is is this doing a lot of in-migration into the states that are passing school choice? I, I think it is, but I think those same states are also passing tax cuts. And so it's kind of like the old Coca-Cola, you know, they, they, they spend so many billions of dollars a year on advertising. They say half of it is worth nothing. If they could only figure out which half it was, they'd cut it out. Um, <laughs> You know, so I think, is it tax cuts? Is it school choice? Is it conservative policies in general? I think the answer to all of the, uh, of the above is yes. But if any of those components aren't working, I don't want to stop them to figure out which one's not working. Let's let's move forward with all of them. 
And this would allow kids to go to um, religious schools as well. There's no religious exemption or anything like that. Yeah, there, there's there's nothing. I mean, it, it's it's funding students, and so um, and of course, with recent Supreme Court cases, uh, I think it's uh, Macon that was that was decided this summer. Uh, if a state has a program like this, they can't discriminate based on religion anyway. So, um, I think we're in a very good place as far as the entire movement is concerned to make sure students are are able to utilize the dollars that are allocated for education uh, to, to fit whatever they need for, for their particular situation. Fabulous. All right. And so I think we've got time for just one question. Um, and I think I'll, I'll give it to Representative Wills, uh, since you kind of mentioned it in your comments. Um, but the question just asks, um, you know, some of these bills are, you know, they require that the schools be accredited. Um, other other bills um, kind of allow parents to self-curate their children's education. Um, so could you just address the benefits and disadvantages of those two approaches? Sure. Uh, for us, it was, I, I believe, a matter of whether we could get the bill passed or not. Uh, having an accredited school uh, was important to quite a few of the people that last year were maybe on the fence or on the edge. And so having an accredited school helped to get us the votes that were needed. Um, I always say, and this is, this is just me. I don't have any proof, uh, but I always say it's harder to create a program than it is to change a program. And so let's, uh, in, in that case, let's get the program created. And then in the future, we can start making tweaks and adjustments as we see fit. Uh, there's some very good homeschooling uh, curriculum, very good, uh, homeschooling academies that are out there in the country, uh, all across the country. And I think that they would be a very good addition. Uh, in the future. Um, and right now, uh, that's not where we're at. Um, but I, I believe that we probably will move in that direction someday. All right. Thanks, Representative Wills. Um, yeah, so I think we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, Jonathan, do you have any closing remarks you'd like to make at all? Well, just to thank everybody for joining us today in an incredibly busy month and busy week for many states. In fact, we would have loved to have some of our friends from Utah who just passed an incredible school choice reform recently. Uh, they're in session as we speak right now, still uh, doing great work to fight for lower taxes and other great conservative ideas. And we'd love to have others join us from Arizona where uh, Speaker Ben Toma received our ALEC Legislator of the Year Award last year for helping to spearhead the big Arizona reforms. I know that's something that Senator Rucker worked with them on and many of you have been involved with, but we couldn't be more pleased with just this movement that um, Alec and our members are helped leading the way across the country that's going to bring decades of dividends for parents and their kids, more importantly, in the future of education. And when you could juxtapose what some of the failing school districts and those horrible outcomes that Steve was talking about versus just this incredible opportunity of upward mobility and those even moving across state lines to take advantage of these amazing opportunities of public, private, charter, or homeschool opportunities of their choice. Um, all of the above is the approach, and that's something, Alec, we are so proud to lead on. One thing I'll just put draw your attention to as we close, we just published our ALEC Essential Policy Solutions document for 2023 recently, which includes a whole section on school choice and links to our model policy in this area on ESAs and others. So I encourage you to check that out at ALEC.org. We'll send that as a follow-up to this call as well. But thank you to Andrew Handel and for our education task force members. Thank you to our board members, Senator Rucker, Speaker Pro Tem Wills, Senator Dotson. 
and of course, Steve Moore for keeping up the great fight on this and just being policy leaders that we're so proud of across the state. So thank you very much. Have a great weekend. And we look forward to working with you in your states to advance principled education reforms. And you'd like to work with Alec, reach out to any member of our team. Thanks so much.